0: Welcome to The Life Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us for another hope-filled message. We pray that you're encouraged by this powerful word from our Sunday service. We have a family. We have family members uh, that are part of our church joining us online. So I, I want to address those folks real quick. And, um, and then, hi. Uh, <laughs> my name's Shane, and I'm, I'm part of the Life Adelaide family here. And, uh, my, my job today is to open the Bible. I take that real seriously. Um, anytime you do that, you want to ask at least two questions. One, what happened? And two, more importantly, what's happening in me right now because of what happened? And when we do that, we want a couple things to happen. We want Jesus to get bigger, the cross to work better, the resurrection to be central, and scriptures to get bigger, not smaller. I, I, I hope that's your experience uh, wherever you're, you're watching this, as well as everybody here live. I want to talk to you about the word Pentecostal. I want to reclaim the beauty of that word. I am very burdened about this because I, I, when, I, when I realized one day that I was embarrassed to admit to someone that I was a Pentecostal, I had to ask myself why. And, and the reason is, is because the word Pentecost words don't matter. How people picture words working matters. All you got to do to ruin a word is to hijack a picture that's associated with it, right? And, and what's happened is, is the word Pentecostal has been hijacked by very amateur predictors of doom, and then they get on the internet, and they say, this is what all Pentecostals are, right? So I, I started doing, I, I did an informal survey, I, and very informal. Literally, I walked up to Pentecostals and said, what's Pentecostal? And the answers, I couldn't believe, I, I, don't, I didn't hear the right answer once. I, I heard, we're the loud worshipers. Okay, amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, the one that disturbed me, I, we're the true worshipers. Hmm. As opposed to all those fake worshipers out there, right? I I heard we're the tongue talkers. All right. I heard we believe in miracles. Yeah, great. I, I heard we believe in the end times. I'm like, really? Do we want to be known for you? You want to be known for people sitting around waiting for the end of the world, right? Is that really that compelling? And I thought, man, no wonder that word has lost a bit of its beauty. And in 30 minutes today, I'm going to reclaim some of that. Because... Pentecostal, I want this church to be the most Pentecostal church in Adelaide. So understand this, we got to understand how Pentecost came about. So Pentecost was a feast, and it finds its origins, not in Acts chapter 2, by the way, finds its origins in Leviticus, and it finds its origins in that in Exodus. So this is Exodus chapter 20, verse 2. This is the giving of what we would call the Ten Commandments. Now, now, in Jewish culture, I, they don't call them Ten Commandments, and I'm not mad at people who do. I call them Ten Commandments. But in Jewish culture, it's actually more beautiful than that. It's a ten-word ketubah, a ten-word marriage proposal. It's They see the Ten Commandments as God proposing relationship to a group of slaves. Now, which leads to this question, why would they think that? Well, let's look at this. Exodus chapter 20, verse 2. And God spoke all these words, not commands, words, saying, I am the Lord your God. So the Ten Commandments starts with an affirmation of relationship, not a condition for one. So the Jewish people saw this day as God proposing marriage to them. What well, the question is why. Well, to understand this, we have to understand that the entire book of Exodus is outlined by an ancient Hebrew relationship structure, okay? So all ancient Hebrew relationships went through a five-step Process. This whole thing centers around five words. If you could bring those five words up for me. The five words are laka, segula, mikvah, ketubah, and hupa. All right? So, with some go life Adelaide Gusto, I want us to repeat these words, all right? And I'm going to teach you how to say them, all right? So the first word is la-ca. Let's try that together. Ready? Go. La-ca. All right, one more time with another 20% of Gusto. Ready? Let's try that. Ready? Go. La-ca. That amount. That's perfect, right? The next one is segula. The S is sort of staccato, like Segula, alright? So let's try that. Ready? Go. Segula, right? The third one is mikvah. Let's try that one. Ready? Go. Mikvah. The fourth one, again staccato on the first letter, it's like ketubah. Ready? Let's try that. Go. Katuba. And then the fifth one is hoopah. Let's try that one. Whoop-a. So the five stages of a Hebrew relationship is laka, segula, mikvah, ketubah, and hoopa. And yes, that is what you're thinking. Now, to illustrate this, I'm going to tell a parable, a completely made-up story that is based in no reality at all to make the point. I have to say that because this story is about me dating somebody. And I'm in a Pentecostal church, and sometimes if you tell a story about you dating somebody and you pick a fictional name and it happens to be the name of a friend of somebody, they say, hey, my sister's name's Pam. Like, maybe God's name. Is no, and it's just a totally made-up story. So let's say I'm dating someone named Pam. And Pam and I go through the initial stages of attraction, which is there's, it's quite fun. Psychologists call it limerence. Limerence is the involuntary rush of dopamine in somebody's brain when you're in the presence of somebody it makes you addicted to them you can't wait to get off work and spend every waking moment with them you text them all day, you get home at night you have five-hour conversations on the phone it feels like 10 minutes, you know? you say, hey, how's it going with Jim? oh, it's awesome, we talked on the phone for five hours the other night it felt like 10 minutes that's limerence, that's the initial stages of attraction once you've been married 10 years a five-hour conversation sounds like hell, right? (laughs) not in the early stages of attraction this is when you're getting used to each other you you sort of don't know what's acceptable what's not you never order the food you want to order because you don't want want her to think less of you you know so instead of ordering fried chicken wings french fries and beer you get a grilled chicken breast with some broccoli and some rice yeah and you're like what am i doing right this is what's going on there well at some point you know Things start going well. And you start having a conversation. And the conversation goes something like this. Hey, is this going to go anywhere? So Pam says, hey, are we going to date forever? Or do you see this actually going somewhere? And we decide, yeah, it's going to go somewhere. Well, once we decide that, the word Pam would be longing to hear me say would be laka. So we're out on a date. And uh, we're at, I don't know, Fasta Pasta. And she gets the spiral caprese, right? And she orders it with extra chili. And you're like, oh man, any woman that eats food like that, I wanna spend the rest of my life with her. So I take her to her home and I walk her to her door, I hold her by the hand and I say, Pam, la ca. Well, she could barely contain her excitement. Obviously, look at all this, seriously. If you sleep in and drink Coke, you too could have a body like this. She goes in, she calls her three best friends and she says, he said la to me. He said la to me, oh, Yo, yeah. He said la-ca. Facebook status change, la-ca. La-ca means to take as one's own. So it's it's a will you be mine? I, I realize this 2022 and today's woman's like, what you gonna take me somewhere? Right now, it's it was really romantic. It was like, um, will you be my own? Uh, will you be mine t- uh, to take as one's own? So there's this there's this family, um, and it, the guy's name's Abraham and he has a son named Isaac and then Isaac has a son named Jacob, and then Jacob has 12 children and 11 of those 12 children sell their brother into slavery in Egypt only to later need him to save them from a famine, and he gives them a piece of land. And then they start having lots of babies, and then they overpopulate Egypt, so the Egyptian king enslaves them. And uh, 430 years into this, God gets them out of slavery into freedom, which is awesome except for the fact that it's terrifying. Like, think about it. If all you know about a God is that he's powerful, but you don't know what he's going to expect in return, like, he got me out of slavery. He's going to call that favor in at some point. And when he calls that favor in, what's that going to be? Is he going to ask me to cut myself, sacrifice my kids, hurt myself? What is this God going to want? All I know about him is he's powerful, but I don't know anything about him. This is quite terrifying, but yet liberating, is sort of strange. So the first thing God says to them is in Exodus chapter six. And watch what he says. It's a beautiful sort of thing. And I'll free you from being slaves to them. And I'll redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And I will take you as my own. The word is laka. Again, you didn't have to explain to them laka. This is relational talk. This is, so, so God is rescuing us, and what does he want in return? Evidently, the answer is you. Yeah. I, I just want relationship. I, like, this is love talk. This is romance talk. Back to our five words. I've said la-ca to Pam. Now, you ladies understand this. As soon as I say la-ca, the clock is ticking, right? How long before la-ca loses its flavor, right? At some point, the friends of Pam are going, has he said Seguli yet? Has he said it yet? Hey, does he have a commitment problem? Seriously. Seriously. Pam's like, shut up. Shut up. He'll say it when he's ready. But deep in her heart, she really wants me to say Segula. So one night we go out and we go to a better restaurant than Fasta Pasta. We go to Elio's, right? And we go down there and eat and have this great time. It's an amazing sort of place. So we get back to her house, and I hold her by the hand, and I say, Pam, Segula. Well, she can't contain her excitement. Why? Look at this. Seriously. She goes in, right? She goes, if you sleep in and drink Coke, you can have a body like him one day. She calls her three best friends. He said Segula to me. He said Segula to me. Yeah! He said Segula. Facebook status change. He said Segula. Now, Segula means treasured possession. Again, this is really, it's 2022. I get it. Women are like, what, you own me? No, it, was, it was bigger than that. It was like, Segula was like Laka 2.0. La Ka was, will you be mine? Segula was, will you be the most special treasured person in my whole world? It was, it was that. So, this group of slaves... They've heard laka in Exodus chapter 6. In Exodus 19, verse 5, here comes the next bombshell. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. The word is segula. Again, terrifying though. Keep my covenant. He hasn't let them in on what that is. What do you, Again, you're showing all this power and you're using all the right language, but when it comes down to it, what exactly are you going to expect from us? That's coming in a second. Back to our five words. Laka. Segula." The third word is "mikvah." Now, "mikvah was a three-day notice. It was. In three days, I'm going to ask you to marry me, all right? So look, I'm 46, so that that removes some of the mystery of that. I'm 46, right? And um, when, when I was of dating age, 25 years ago, there was a little bit of mystery involved in the day you're going to get engaged, right? And so there was like this mystery. So the girl's friends would be like, girl, do you think tonight's tonight? Is he going to ask you to marry him tonight? You know? And she's like, I don't know. I really hope so. And they're like, what do you mean? He's booked the most expensive steakhouse in the middle of the city. He normally takes you to Nando's, right? He's he's a Nando's budget guy, and now he's taking you to the most expensive restaurant in the city, I think tonight's the night. And she's like, I hope so. And that's how it went 25 years ago. Today, there's no mystery in this at all, right? And it's because of social media. Everybody knows when the night, listen, if your boyfriend takes you to the base of a mountain where it runs into the ocean and there's already a photographer there, (laughs) today's your day, right? Back then there was no mystery at all. You said mikvah, and then three days later you asked them to marry you. Now, I have preached some version of this at large women's conferences all over the world. Um, I'm talking about a basket, I did this once in a basketball arena full of women. All right? And and you, and you explain it. You're like, you're like, la ka, it means my own. And you can hear it, the women go. Oh. Segula means special treasure, and you could hear it. Mikvah was far less romantic. Mikvah was a three day notice, and it literally means go wash. Girl, you need a bath. Your breath needs some work, right? Mikvah was, hey, I'm gonna ask you to marry me in three days, so I'd like you to be clean so I can touch you, right? It was that. This was a common theme in scripture. You see this in several places, but the biggest overkill you see it is in the book of Esther, where it says, Esther bathed in a mikvah for a year in perfume before she went in and saw her husband. Which can I think, can we all just agree that's overkill? Seriously, if you need to bathe in perfume for a year, See a doctor, okay? <laughs> Girl, you might be hiding something, okay? Like, that's, it's, that's more scary than anything else. But mikvah was this three days. So, I take Pam out, and uh, I say to her, mikvah. What that means is, is that she'll go in and call her friends. In three days, he's going to ask me to marry him. Three days, I need to bathe, but he's going to ask me to marry him. So, the same group of people, Exodus 19, verse 10, here's what. He says, next slide. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. Mikvah. Now, this is Exodus 19, verse 10. Mikvah. What happens three days later? Three days after Exodus 19, what happens? Exodus 20. I know. Boom. Right? Right? Can you see why they thought the Ten Commandments was a marriage proposal? Yeah. Laka, Segula, Mikvah. Now, the next two words are ketubah and chuppah. So I'm going to explain ketubah and chuppah in our made-up story, and then we'll look at the scripture. So three days after I say mikvah, Pam and I get together, and I'm going to ask her to marry me, which was more of a process than just this romantic, will you marry me, fireworks, photography, right? It was, a ketubah was a marriage contract. What you would do when you ask someone to marry you is you would establish the rules that you agreed upon, right? It was called a covenant, right? Like one of the, some of the worst teaching you'll ever hear on marriage is marriage is a covenant, and what that means is, is that you made a promise, and you just have to put up with whatever they do forever and ever and ever, and there's nothing you could do about it, right? That is nonsense. It's not based in Hebrew or Greek. It's actually based in Latin. The Latin is bullimus crapimus, okay? I, I can't think of the English of that exactly, but the Latin is definitely bullimus crapamus, right? So when you asked someone to marry you, you had a contract. It was called a ketubah, and here was the rules. I could put anything in the ketubah I wanted. She could put anything in the ketubah she wanted, so long as we both agreed. Because how can two walk together, lest they be agreed? Our fathers were there as for witnesses and for wisdom, right? They're like, hey, you know, you're 14. You think it's going to be like that? It's not. Don't put that in writing, right? That kind of stuff. So that once it was established... This is what we agree upon. I would then stand and face her, and I would say, will you marry me? But it was based on this agreement, will you marry me? And after that, if somebody just chose to break their basic agreement in an unrepentant pattern, it was called marital unfaithfulness. It was unfaithfulness to what you agreed upon. But pay very close attention to the language here. I would say, will you marry me? She would say, yeah. I would say... Good, then I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am, there you may be also. And she would say, "Well, when are you going to come back to receive me unto yourself?" And I would say, "I do not know the day or the hour, but when my father approves the wedding chamber, I'm going to build for you. I'll come back to receive you. But be watchful and ready with oil in your lamps for my return." Does that sound familiar to anybody? Like this was not like apocalyptic. This was wedding talk. This was romantic talk. So then I would leave, and I would go build a room on my father's house. In my father's house are many rooms, right? And we don't have any concept of this because in our world, our children get married and leave. Hopefully. (laughs) Like adults aren't meant to live in the same... Listen, I don't want to be rude, but if you're 34 and still living with your parents, they're ready for you to go, (laughs) Right? It's just true, right? Now but in that world, that you didn't have your own house, nobody could afford that. You had family compounds. I've seen them. They were seriously maybe twice as wide as this part of the stage. You had a center aisle. With, it was just very, very simple. Room, 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 room. Your storefront was on the road so that you could sell your bread or your, or, or, or your, your tents or whatever you did for, for business. And then what would happen is is the youngest people would live in the back of the house, right? And then as you got older, you graduated to the middle and then to the front. And then when you died, you moved out, Right? That's the way that happened. Now, remember, the average age of death back then was 32, okay? So just one real quick thing for the single adults here. Be very choosy with who you marry. In Jesus' day, they died at 32. So till death do us part was more doable, okay? Now you got to live with them to 84. Choose wisely, right? So... What I would do is I'd build a room on the back of my father's house. And my father would approve that that was reasonable lodgings. There's a, there's a whole lot of lessons in this about get your natural world in order. and uh, Not for today. But so, so, so I would build this room. And my father would say, yep, that is, that is acceptable lodgings for you and your new wife. I would then go back and pick Pam up. She's waiting for me with oil in her lamp. And then we would come to the place where the marriage room was built. And we would have a wedding. At the wedding, there was a chuppah. Actually, there was two huppas. A chuppah was, just means, it's a metaphor. It just means to cover something in the presence of God. Uh, it was a very rustic sort of thing. They, it, some of you will remember I talked about the prayer shawl once with the tassels and the healing, right? It was just that. I, it's in my bag that's missing. Don't, don't worry. But, the, but what they would do is they would just put four sticks in the ground. And tie the tassels around the four sticks and it would make a canopy, a chuppah, over the top of them. So that their vows were done underneath the witness of the presence of God. That was the first chuppah. The second chuppah was in the wedding room. What they would do is they would put four sticks in the ground around the marriage bed... And they would put a tallit over the top of it. The reason is, is that the consummations of covenants were supposed to be witnessed. But since that's not a great spectator sport, what they would do is they would put a chupa there so that the the marriage was consummated underneath the witness of the presence of God. So here's what would happen, right? I would take my wife to the door and I would pick her up. Right, we still do that today, right? But we, we, I would pick her up. Now, the Hebrew word to pick your bride up is where we get the word rapture from. It's, it's true. <laughs> it's true. So it, it's it's actually not about it's not about going somewhere else. It's about being caught up into the fullness of the love of your groom, right? So so you, so you would. You would get raptured. That We do that today. It's called carrying them under the threshold or over the threshold, right? It's, it's a good idea for some. For others, I wouldn't recommend, like, oh, girl, I'll give you a piggyback, right? So, then, so you, you pick her up. You go in there. This will get a little embarrassing for us just because we're more embarrassed about this. They couldn't be embarrassed about this. They lived too close. And so I would take her in there. They'd close the door. We would consummate our marriage under the chuppah and everybody just waited for us to be done, just like, but remember we're 14 years old so like 30 seconds later here we go we're ready we're ready and then, you, and then you have this party right that was Lakha, Segula, Mikva, Katuba, Chupa so this group of people have heard Lakha they've heard Segula they've heard Mikva three days later here comes the Chupa Exodus chapter 20, verse two, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord, your God. Three words in Hebrew, Anarchy, Jehovah, Elohim, Anarchy, Jehovah, Elohim. I am the Lord, your God. Now you could say, I am the Lord, your God with two words, Jehovah, Elohim. So there's this word that's not necessary, Anarchy. Anarchy was the first word of God's marriage proposal to them. Remember, they don't know what he's expecting here. Now, the word anarchy, just like all Hebrew words, are pictures. Every Hebrew letter is a picture. Every Hebrew word is a comic strip. The A is an ox head going into a yoke. The N is fish multiplying. It looks like a crescendo. One becomes two. The CH is a hedge or a fence. And the Y is an upraised hand. It means to pray, submit, or surrender. So they have no idea what's coming. And the first word when you put the pictures together is your authority is going to multiply inside the hedge of praise and submission. In other words, I'm here to make you bigger. I'm here to save the day here. Think about the Ten Commandments as a marriage proposal from the perspective of slaves. Um, uh, don't have any other gods. Before. In other words, if we're going to be married, I'd like to be the only one. There. hey hey don't have idols in other words if we're going to be married if you could put the pictures of your old boyfriends away that'd be great right would be good hey here's an idea um let's have one day in seven and just be it together Rem- remember they're slaves Foreigner, when was their last day off never you imagine hearing that uh is keeping his covenant did he just give us a day off we haven't had a day off in ever this is amazing And he made it a national rule. That way that guy can't run his business on our day off and get ahead of us. Everybody, this is brilliant. Hey, here's a good one. Don't kill each other. (laughs) But but hang on, read it as a slave. Hang on. So in our new world, the biggest, strongest people can't kill us? Oh no. Wait a minute, hang on. So the the owners can't kill the, no, everybody's life is sacred. Oh, unbelievable. Oh, here's one. Uh, don't sleep with each other's spouses. It's a really good plan, right? Right? But but hang on, read it as a slave. Hang on. In our new world, the biggest, strongest people can't rape our wives. How many times would an Israelite slave been raped by Egyptian? Are you serious? All, like all the time. Hang on, so I'll just make sure we get this, I get this right. So in our new world, my life and my wife are protected and we get a day off. That's all you want from us? (laughs) Protect life, protect each other. Like What? Oh, here's one. Don't take each other's things. What? Hang on. In our new world, the biggest, strongest people can't take our stuff? No. I just want to make sure I can understand this. So, okay. So in our new world, my life, my wife, and my stuff are all protected, and we get a day off. Yes. This is the greatest thing ever. How degrading. To, to demote something as profound and gracious as this to. Well, that's the law. What? This was the restoration of what it meant to be a human. They're like, that's all you want from us. Yep. Treat each other with dignity and take a day off and spend it with you. Yep. yep. That's about it. You know, honor your father and mother. Like stuff like this. Yeah. Wow. But relationships don't end with ketubah. They end with chulpas. Exodus chapter 20, verse 18. This is the end of the Ten Commandments. This Ten Word, Ketubah, this is what it says. When the people saw the thunder and the lightning, and they heard the sound of a trumpet, and they saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They're standing at the base of the mountain, and it co- the presence of God covers them in smoke. But what a weird sentence. They saw thunder. Can't see thunder, it's It's weird. If you go look that up in Hebrew, the word is kole. Kole, everywhere else is translated voices, languages, or tongues. So they look up and they see languages or voices. Lightning is glorified fire. It's the same two words Moses said, I saw the voice of God out of the fire of the burning bush. Same exact two words. So they look up and they see tongues of fire sitting over their head. What would the tongues have been saying? Will you marry me? The Talmud says that on this day in history, God proposed to all of creation by using 70,000 tongues of fire that went as far as the eye could see. Oh, by the way, in 1857 in Rangoon, Burma, an English sociologist was studying the Karen people and he asked them, who is your God? And they said, we serve a God named Yava who proposed to us thousands of years ago with tongues of fire from the sky. Wow. This marriage proposal. Now, you married people. What do you do every year on the day you got married to celebrate? It's called celebrating your anniversary. It's a really good idea. It's a day a year you set aside to remember how you used to feel and <laughs> the five-hour chats we used to love to have. And, and then you sort of celebrate, hopefully, how that love has grown into something more mature, right? So that's what God does. God says, I want you to set aside this day every year to celebrate our anniversary. And that day was, you guessed it, Pentecost. Pentecost was so revolutionary because it was the only feast where it was commanded you had to make... Hey guys, it snuck up behind me, man. I'm I'm like a redneck, but you don't sneak up behind people like that. Pentecost was so strange because you had to bring leavened bread. Everywhere else was unleavened, not Pentecost. Pentecost was a celebration. They would break the bread and fill it with oil because it tastes good. But it also uh, was a metaphor for the spirit and presence of God willing to engage leavened, flawed, broken stories. Pentecost was not a celebration of get it right and then God will accept you. It's no, because God accepted you, he's willing to engage your broken story wherever your broken story is and involve himself to make a better story. It's it's this. And and what they would do is they'd break it and fill it with oil and and whoever was running the Pentecost feast, they would say, now the day of Pentecost has fully come. And, And when that happened... Uh, It was a celebration of God wants to be with us, leaven and all issues and all flaws and all. You can never be too broken for God to be willing to engage that broken story in order to make a better narrative. This is the beauty of Pentecost. It's the now work of God, always willing to engage the leavened, flawed, broken narrative of all of our lives in order to make a a better story. So years later, in Acts chapter 2, they're all together. Why? Because it's Pentecost. That's what you're supposed to do. And it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, when that had been flooded with oil, it said that they looked up and the whole room covered them in smoke. Chuppah. And they saw tongues of fire sitting above their head. Hang on a second. So the same exact thing is happening on the same exact day. The only difference is this time they spoke back, which is the birth of the church, which is the bride of Christ. But what did they do? There's a response to this. It says they went outside and they sold all they could and blessed the poor and afflicted amongst them. Why? Because when you realize that God is treating you as you are worth and not as you deserve, that God is willing to engage our flawed stories, leaven and all, issues and all, flawed and all, that requires a response. And the response of the Pentecostals was to be generous, to treat others that way. It's in Leviticus. Check this. Next slide. On that same day, you're to proclaim a sacred assembly and do no regular work. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. And when you reap the harvest of your field, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of the harvest. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. Oh, remember, I am the Lord your God. By the way, same three words, Anakija. He reminds them on Pentecost of his marriage. In other words, I was willing to engage your leaven story. May you show the whole world. Listen, I celebrate spiritual language, and I hope that all of you pray in tongues. But Pentecostals are not supposed to be known as the tongue talkers. Pentecostals are supposed to be known as the most generous group of people in our world. So in that sense, may you celebrate God's engagement with your broken story. May you pray in the Spirit at all times. Fine. But may our response to our world be the most generous group of people in the world. So, may you, my brothers and sisters, and everybody watching online, may you celebrate God being willing to engage your leaven by being the most generous Pentecostal group of people that Adelaide has ever seen, and ultimately, the world. Lord, would you cancel the white noise of our week? Give us the courage to see things different, the irresistible urge to respond to what we see. two questions. One, if you're here today and you've been walking with Jesus for a while, I want you to take the next few minutes and become aware of just how much the Spirit of God has engaged your broken story. Just ask the question, where would I be had God not touched my life? And be ultimately thankful and then ask this question, who can I be generous to today? Maybe there's some of you here and you have this belief that you're just frankly too leavened for God to want to be involved. And if that's you, I'd like to invite you to a better story. I'd like to invite you to open your heart. You, you might have heard words like saved, salvation, uh, born again, and you're like, what? 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 What does that even mean? Well, I don't have a good picture for that. Let me let me see if I can help. When we say saved or salvation or what we mean is is that you have put your trust in jesus's version of your life story instead of the one you've been creating on your own that that you trust that jesus's version of your life story is better than the one you've created on your own, and you trust him to get involved in that and make a better story it's that first point of participation and consent to god's willingness to engage your story and maybe you're here today and that's you And you'd love to say yes to Jesus and say, you know what? I want, I actually do believe that Jesus' version of my life would be better than the one I've been writing on my own. And I'd like to invite the Spirit of God to invade and engage my broken story, leaven and all issues and all flaws and all. And and if that's you and you'd like to, to surrender, trust me, everybody else is doing their own business. If you'd like to surrender, if you would just lift your hand to me, and I'd like to, I'd like to pray. I'd like to pray for you right where you're seated. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way, I promise you. I see you over there. That's brilliant. It takes a lot of bravery to be the first person to do that. I see that in the middle. There you go. Any, anybody else? says, You know, that's, that's me. I'd like, to, I'd like to make a decision like that today. I've been calling my shots for far too long. It's not working that great. and I'd, 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 I'd like another story. Anybody else? Yeah, I see you over there. That's brilliant. It's brilliant. So we're going we're gonna to pray a prayer and you just pray some version of this prayer in your heart. It's not the prayer or anything. It's just your response. You can just say something like this. Lord Jesus, today I choose to trust your version of my life story instead of the one I've been writing on my own and I invite you to be the Lord of my life and teach me how to live. Lord, engage my broken story and make a better one. Amen. And for all of us, may we become aware that when the presence of God engages this, the only appropriate response is to bless other people. Be the most Pentecostal group of people this world has ever seen. Thanks for being part of your day. Grace and peace, everybody. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We trust that you're encouraged by this powerful message.